make Jesus famous. famous. And as his ambassadors, all we gotta do is help him look better, you know? Be better stewards of his public relations. Good morning and welcome again to Christ Community Chapel. My name is Mike one of the pastors here usually doing other things, but this morning glad to share God's word with you all. If you're over in East Hall, welcome, tuning in online or here in the sanctuary. Uh, really great to be together. We are in the third week of our series, Christianity Famous or Infamous. It's been a pretty hard-hitting series so far. Week one, we talked about us and them and how the church historically and presently struggles in three-fifthing other people. Week two uh, was no less intense, talking about being judgmental or merciful. And Jesus, being accused of a lot of things, was never accused of being judgmental. And yet eight out of ten Christians are. Something has gone wrong. Our theme this year as a church in 2019 is to make Jesus famous. And we realize as we try to do that, things can and often do go wrong. We want to change that. Right? Instead of seeing the beauty and the greatness of Jesus, they're seeing the grime and the dirt of us. And so through a number of ways, we want to make that different. Uh, one way in particular is called the Famous Infamous Challenge. You may have heard about it already. Uh, if you haven't yet, it's a challenge where we are asking you to pursue someone of a different culture or color than you this week. It could be over coffee, over lunch at work, could be your neighbor, dinner at home, whatever it might be. Someone who is different than you in culture and color and pursue them in the name of Jesus. And when you do, uh, take this card, a uh, famous or infamous challenge card, place it in the offering next week. And then each week we will report the number of cards uh, in the offering. And I'm glad to report 30 cards were in last Sunday's offering. 30 people making that uh, leap, crossing a line they maybe wouldn't have crossed before to make Jesus famous. So grab a card and let's continue to do that this week. All right. Uh, this week is no less uh, hard-hitting. We are talking about an area that is, again, where Christians have struggled in the past, injustice and justice. Injustice and justice. As we get started, I have a confession to make to you. Uh, I've never been to Disney World, all right? Feels better just to say that. I have never been, and when I told my wife, she was sad and surprised initially but that quickly turned into anger and frustration, and she got really mad. Um, it's like every child deserves to go to Disney World. Every child has that inherent right. If you live in this country, you have to go to Disney World. How could you have never gone? She was having one of those that's not right moments. And life is full of that's not right moments. Some are fun and trivial about vacation and Disney World, but most are not. Most are actually much uh, harder to hear about. They are sad and even difficult to talk about. A few months back, I was in Akron, uh, in Kenmore, an urban part of Akron. And I was tied to one of the ministry partners that we connect with called First Glance, talking to their director and uh, her name is Noelle Beck, and she mentioned, sort of just kind of off the cuff, that she has been to more funerals for kids 
than adults. She's been there for 18 years, and she's been to more funerals for kids who are under 18 than for adults who are over 18. In 2017, there were 20,893 abortions in the state of Ohio. In this region, there are 2,500 orphans awaiting parents. In Summit County alone, on any given night, there are up to 2,000 homeless teenagers. And the average age of a trafficked girl in this area is 12 years old, most often near Summit Mall in Fairlawn. Life is full of that's not right moments. And the question is, how did we get here? How did we get to this place in this city where these things and these moments are a reality? Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to be in the first 12 verses today as God addresses that question and more. Isaiah chapter 58, verses uh, 1 through 12 will be on the screen as well. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. As if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask me of righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you not see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the, the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not? Share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and you satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruin shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is God's word today. Three points we're going to work through this morning. Uh, first is the recognition, then the invitation, and finally the question. The recognition, the invitation, and the question. First, the recognition. As you go through the book of Isaiah, there are really two main things God wants his people to recognize about themselves. The first is more like a Valentine's Day card where God expresses his love to his people and he wants them to recognize, believe, and trust in his love. For example, Isaiah chapter 43, 
But now thus says the Lord, He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. It's a beautiful passage. It's true. If you haven't heard it in a while, maybe you have just failed to recognize, let me tell you again this morning that there is a God who made you, there's a God who loves you, and it's real. (laughs) May we recognize the depth and the truth of God's love today. The second thing God wants people to recognize is a little bit different. Less like a Valentine's Day card and more like um, a home inspection, all right? It's where he goes through our life, he goes through our heart and our church, he goes through every different corner, even to the attic, and he begins to expose things in us that are not right, that need to be fixed. In every home inspection, there are issues, and in every church, there are issues. And the question is, in this passage, what is he going to expose? What does the home inspection show to be true and to be not right about us? Hmm. On a normal Sunday morning, uh, it was the fall of 1963, at 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama, four black girls were in the basement getting ready to sing that day. When dynamite was placed and it went off and a bomb actually killed four girls and injuring 20 others on that day. One of the worst that's not right moments you can probably ever hear about. And the question is, how did Birmingham get to that spot? How did the city become that full of racism? It was so strong, it was so powerful, that a few people decided to bomb an African-American church on a Sunday morning, no less. The answer is actually in our passage today. Let me reread a few verses to give an answer. Verse 2, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a righteous nation and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. In this passage, God is describing people who want to seek him want to draw near to him. They are even fasting. He's describing people who come to church, who sing the songs and give in the offering. They are very much involved in church things, but then they have no heart and no compassion and no concern for justice things. They come and they gather on a Sunday and they sing and they worship. But then Monday comes and they go and they work and they oppress They come when they dig into God's word on a Sunday morning, but then they are quick to share their racist jokes on Tuesday. They're very involved in church things, but when it comes to justice things, they are silent. You see, in Birmingham at that time, there were probably lots of churches, 
and thousands of Christians that were doing this and had been doing this week after week, Sunday after Sunday, until the time was right, the culture was ripe enough for a few people to take it a little bit too far. The day after the bombing, there is a white lawyer named Charles Morgan. He said this in a speech. Reflecting on the events, he said, Who did it? Who threw that bomb? Was it a black or white? The answer should be, we all did it. We all did it. Morgan recognized that no matter who had physically planted the dynamite, all the city's white residents were complicit in allowing an environment of hatred and racism to persist. How did Birmingham get to that spot? There are a number of reasons. But one central reason is the Christians and the churches in Birmingham were complicit with the injustice of their time. They had a view of Christianity and a life of following Jesus that was high on Sunday, as it should be, but low on the rest of the week. They prioritized personal faith and private devotion towards Jesus, as they should, but they left out anything to do with social concern, advocacy, or justice. They taught and they preached the idea that we are justified, we are made righteous by faith in Jesus alone, as they should. But they didn't actually teach people how to live a life of justice by that same faith. I imagine at some point people will ask us a similar question. How did the state of Ohio get to this spot where there are 20,000 abortions in a given year? How did Summit County get to the place where it is where 2,000 kids don't have a place to call home at night? How is it in Kenmore, 20 minutes away, that they have more funerals for kids than for adults? There are a lot of reasons. But one reason will be maybe the Christians were complicit with the injustice of their time. Will they say that about us? Will they say that we are a church that really loves to gather and worship on Sunday, but then the rest of the week doesn't really matter? Will they say that we really are involved in personal devotion and our faith in Jesus is strong individually, but with no concern for social concern or advocacy? Will they say that we preached and we taught justification by faith really, really well, but we never actually had a life of justice by that same faith? Will that be true of us? I really hope it is. I don't think it is. One of our local ministry partners, Rahab, devotes itself to rescuing girls who are being trafficked in this area. They wrote this on their website. Those who view pornography, believing it harmless, are re-victimizing these women and children and increasing the demand for additional victimization. In many cases, pornography viewing escalates either to paying for sex or to viewing more extreme content. Thousands of Christians, week after week, Sunday after Sunday, website after website, until the time was right and the culture was ripe enough for a few people to take it just too far and traffic a 12-year-old girl at Summit Mall. God has but one question for them and for us. Verse 5, will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Will you call this a faith and a day acceptable to the Lord? 
In other words, do you think this is what I want? (laughs) Do you think this is what I want from you? Do you think this is what I want to see happen in this world? Do you think I am indifferent to racism? Do you think I am indifferent to the orphan, to the trafficked, to the oppressed, to the poor, to the fatherless? Do you think I want you to come, you to come here on every Sunday of every week of every month and then do nothing about it? How did we get here? God is wanting us to recognize that we are here because we have lost our way. We have lost our way. Which leads us to our second point. The invitation. The invitation. Uh, The TV show that's kind of taken over households everywhere uh, is a show called Fixer Upper on HGTV. I imagine we might have some fans here. I realize the way you know you are a fan of Fixer Upper is if you have shiplap in your house. If you don't have shiplap in your house or you don't know what it is, you actually are not as big of a fan as you think you are. Sorry to break it to you. All right, it's a show starring Chip and Joanna Gaines. They're in Waco, Texas. And through Chip's handiwork and Joanna's style, they redo, restore, and fix up houses. And we love it. What dawned on me is there's no shows about just making new homes, right? There's no shows called New Homer Upper or something really corny or cheesy like that. We don't want to see just new homes being built. We love to see the old become new. We love things that are broken down to be restored. It could be furniture being refurbished. It could be a house being restored. But something in our hearts is wired to love what is broken to be fixed up. And the picture of God we get in this passage is the same picture. He is a God of refurbishing and restoring and redeeming this place. What Chip and Joanna Gaines are doing on a really actually small level in a few homes in Waco, Texas, God is doing on a much larger scale, on a much greater, grander scale in this world. The phrase that really sticks out to me that describes what God is doing, we find in the book of Deuteronomy. I could have gone a number of places, but this phrase really stuck out to me this week. It says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow. God is on a mission to restore and redeem the injustice and bring justice again to this place. And he turns to us, his church, and he says, do you want in? Do you want to be a part of what I'm doing? Do you see the world as I see it? Are you hurt by the same world in the same way? And do you want in to restore and fix this place. Hmm. Two things there's invitation we're going to talk about. First, uh, what are we going to do? And second, how are we going to do it? First, when you say execute justice, God, what do you mean? What are we going to do? Don't say it out loud, but think about someone that you don't like in your head. Just don't say it out loud. 
Who is someone in your life that you don't like? Someone that's gotten away with something for far too long. I was driving in Route 8 last week. I was stuck in traffic. There was an accident. And so all three lanes were um, stopped up. There was no place to go except for the shoulder. The shoulder was wide open and it was clear. But no self-respecting human being would take the shoulder in the midst of a traffic jam, all right? If that's you, don't do it. Well, two people decided to do it. First, there was a car, and then there was a motorcycle that got into the shoulder and then took off in the traffic jam. And this was before last week's sermon on being, like, judgmental or merciful and all that, like, assuming the best nonsense Joe was talking about. And I decided that I had a lot of judgment that I wanted to tell them about. And I had a lot of assumptions in me that probably weren't that great. I wanted nothing less than to see a cop pull them over after the accident cleared. But to my dismay, no luck. And unfortunately, that's not the kind of justice God is talking about here. When he's saying execute justice, he's not talking about making people in our life pay that we want to be punished. He's not talking about people we don't like getting what they deserve. We're not about getting bad drivers on Route 8 tickets. That's not exactly justice. You see, we are obsessed with justice for the criminal, making sure they get what they deserve. But God has a different view of justice. Rather than the criminal, God is after justice for the vulnerable. Right? Rather than bad guys getting what they deserve, he's making sure the fatherless and the widow and the orphan and the trafficked and the poor and the oppressed get what they deserve. Look with me. Uh, verses 6 and 7 in our passage. God lays it out here for us. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. He wants the oppressed freed, the hungry fed, the homeless welcomed, trafficking done away with, racism gone, abortions aborted. What is he inviting us to do? To create a state where every child has a right to be born, to create a county where every teenager has a place to call home, and to redo Kenmore so every teenager lives past their 18th birthday. God is inviting us. He is calling us to set right all the that's not right moments. The question is how are we going to do this? How do we actually do justice? There's a famous story in the Bible called the Good Samaritan. You've probably heard it or are aware of it to some degree. I'll give a quick recap of it. There's a man on a dangerous road in a bad part of town who gets jumped, robbed, beaten, and left to die. Two people come to him, two religious leaders of the time come and see him, and then they just keep going. And then one man, the Samaritan, comes, and he sees him in his pain and his distress, and he cares for him. He brings him to a hotel, he pays for a few nights, and anything he needs, he covers for this man. We call him the Good Samaritan. We could probably just as easily call him the 
just Samaritan. And there are three things we can see in his story and how we do justice. The first is we have to be proximate to injustice. If we're going to be a church that does justice, we need to be proximate to injustice. You see, one of the dangers of not being proximate to injustice is you can think it's not happening. Right? If it doesn't happen in your day, in your week, in your school, in your neighborhood, or your home, you might think it doesn't actually happen anywhere else. But if you're proximate to injustice in the poor and the vulnerable, you will realize, oh, it's very much a reality. So my question to you is, how proximate are you to the vulnerable? How proximate are you to those who need your help, those who are going through injustice? If we're going to be a church that does justice, we need to get close to injustice. We need to be willing to go to the places that the Samaritan was willing to go to, the dangerous parts, the hard parts, the places maybe we tend to skip over. Second is doing justice starts with one. Doing justice starts with one. There was one man that the Samaritan saw who needed his help, who needed justice, and he delivered it to him. He fed him, he clothed him, he bought him a place to stay. He did everything we just read about in this passage for this one man. Justice starts with one. Right, so there are 3,000 people at our church. If we all start with one, we will move the needle for uh, justice quite a bit in this next week. Who around you needs clothes, needs food, needs a place to stay, needs a home, needs parents, needs love? Who around you needs justice? If you have a hard time coming up with one person, it's probably because you missed the first part and you aren't proximate or close enough to injustice to start with. We need to get proximate and then justice starts with one and the third and finally, justice does not stop with one. It does not stop with one. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, made this interesting observation about the story. What if the Good Samaritan kept coming back to this road? And he kept seeing the same kind of men in the same sort of condition week after week, month after month, year after year. What would the good Samaritan do? What would a just Samaritan do in that situation? And he says, well, he would probably still care for that individual that he saw, but then he would also begin to change the road. Right? More than just helping one person, he would look at the entire neighborhood, the entire community, the entire city, and say, how can we begin to change this so the same types of things don't keep happening, right? We would begin to look at Kenmore and say, why is it that Noel Beck has been to more funerals for kids under 18 than adults over 18? What is it about Kenmore? How can we restore and fix it? There were a group of churches in Memphis, Tennessee that got this idea, had a vision for it, and they executed justice. You see, they were noticing one thing that two-thirds of fourth graders in their public schools, if they weren't reading by the fourth grade, would end up in welfare or prison. Two-thirds of fourth graders who were not reading would end up in welfare or prison. And so they gather together. It's called Arise to Read. And now they invest their time, their resources, their money, into tutoring third graders in Memphis. And more than just teaching them how to read, they're getting their hammer out and slowly but surely restoring and fixing up and executing justice. 
That's the invitation. <laughs> to join God in redeeming and fixing up this world, it's a pretty big invitation. There is a lot of work to be done, and the question is, will we join him? That's the third and final point, the question of, okay, this is the recognition, this is the invitation, now are we actually going to do it? Are we actually going to pursue justice together for the long haul? Let me give you three reasons to consider why we should say yes. The first is to remember the help that we have gotten. Remember the help that we have gotten. If you were a house, what kind of house would you be? If you were a house, what kind of house would you be? You have three options. A brand new house, no work needed. A slightly older house, some cosmetic work needed. Or a third, broken down house needing a lot, a lot of work. A true fixer-upper. In Christianity, in the Bible, when it talks about us, it talks about us not as this house that is brand new and great, not even a class, not even a house that's just slightly old and need a little bit of work. No, it talks about us in our spiritual state needing a heck of a lot of work and a heck of a lot of help. It talks about us being in a place where we are spiritually dilapidated, broken down, run down, and with absolutely no way to fix or restore ourselves. And so God... In his mercy, in his love, he turns to Jesus and he says, do you want in? This world is a mess. These people are a mess. Do you want in? Do you want to redeem, restore, and fix them? And he says, absolutely. I don't care how much help it requires. I don't care how much grace it's going to cost me. I'm going to do it. And the amazing thing about what Jesus has done, he didn't come with a hammer to do it and repair ourselves. The hammer wasn't used for us. Instead, uh, the hammer was turned onto him. At the cross, the hammer and nails put him to death for us so that we could be restored and fixed and made new. The big theological word for it is justification. We are made right with God by faith in Jesus, and it's a beautiful thing to teach and to preach. And the more we understand that, the more we understand the work that was required for us to be fixed up, the more we require the state we were in before Jesus came with his hammer, the more we will help those who need it. We will see the orphan and the trafficked and the oppressed and the poor, and we will realize, you know what? You're actually just like you. Till Jesus came and fixed me up. And now I'm going to join with God in restoring, redeeming, and fixing this world. If we remember the help we have received, that'll drive us to give the help the world deserves. The second point is this, is to realize the truth that we have, the truth that we have. I had kind of an aha moment this week. Um, there is no Christianity without justice. This passage tells that. In the same token, there is no justice without Christianity. There is no Christianity without justice, and there is no justice without Christianity. It seems a little bit arrogant maybe to say that. I mean, you probably have people in your life that you know that are concerned with justice and yet do not uh, profess Christianity at all. But let me ask you a question. What is the basis for justice for all people? 
If you think all people deserve justice, why is that the case? You see, only Christianity has a foundation for justice. It says every single person, from the unborn to the elderly, black, white, brown, or anywhere in between, are made in the very image of God, giving them value, dignity, worth, and rights to justice. There is no other worldview that gives that sort of value to human beings. What they will say instead is, it's normal for the strong, the fast, and the powerful to overrun the weak, the slow, and the vulnerable. It's just the way it works. It's just survival of the fittest. So if you are here and you are concerned with justice, but you don't know Jesus, let me just have you consider that to be a follower of Jesus is more pro-justice than you realize. And actually to not follow Jesus is to be more anti-justice than you might realize. For there is no Christianity without justice and there is no justice without Christianity. We remember the help that we have received. We remember the truth that we have. And then third and final, uh, we work for the future that we want. The future that we want. Look with me at verse 12 in our passage. It says, And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. You will be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets to raise up the foundations of many generations. And he's trying to get us to look into the future and see where will we be in one or two generations from now. Maybe we can't end racism or abortion or homelessness in this generation. But is the work that we are starting, the work that we are doing now, can it be continued in the next generation into the future that we want so people can carry on our work of executing justice? If we're going to be a church that really is in justice, we need to think not just of the day or the week or this year of 2019, but we need to think about the next generation and after that and after that and after that until one day those things that are not right are made right in this world is restored. Life is full of, that, of lots of that's not right moments. And for far too long and far too many places, Christians and churches have been complicit with the injustice of their time. But I think the time is right and our culture is ripe for something to change, for thousands upon thousands of Christians to connect the high view of Sunday with the rest of the week to connect their love for personal devotion and faith in Jesus with a social concern and advocacy, for us to continue to teach and preach and love justification by faith and in the same breath fight for justice with that same faith. If we can do that, we will stop making Christianity infamous. We will brush off the dirt and the grime and people will see the beauty and the greatness of Jesus and he truly will be famous. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. God, we don't always like these sorts of passages and these sort of inspections where you come in and show us where we are off and where things are not right, but I pray it would be a, uh, a convicting and a moving time in us for us to turn back to what you want us to do. That we would join in what you are doing 
to restore and redeem and fix up this place and execute justice. Give us the courage, give us the boldness, give us the eyes to see where the injustice is and how we can step into that. And through it all, God, may you be glorified and may Jesus be made famous. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.